This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Hanan. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show today. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. Unfortunately, we don't have time today to talk about what's happening in Sudan. We'll probably get to that next week. But I'm sure our listeners and viewers know that the Sudan right now is in the middle of a really chaotic situation. We will get to that eventually. But the main topics for today are going to be, you know, basically after harassing Muslims during Ramadan, Israel has been limiting the number of Christians celebrating Orthodox Easter at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's a big story. Restrictions on religious freedoms, movements. We're going to be talking about that. Another big uh, story, Jamal, is the Israeli spy maker Quad Dream closes and fires all of its employees, the company which specializes in software to basically hack iPhones for governments, has been halting operations. Kind of interesting. We're going to be following up on that. And this was kind of surprising news to many of us waking up this morning, finding out that the son of the Shah of Iran is visiting the apartheid state. And I think the quote he made was, to basically rekindle the kind of warm relations between the Shah regime in Iran and the apartheid regime. So we're going to be speaking a little bit about that. But before we get to those stories, Jamal, we're going to watch a really great interview that you did with investigative journalist and best-selling author James Bamford on a recent article he wrote in The Nation, The Candidate and the Spy, which detailed meetings between, of all people, Roger Stone, and Benjamin Netanyahu's intelligence agent from 2016 up until the elections in November. A really incredible story, Jamal, which did not make the mainstream media at all. It's really an extraordinary story. No, because the the distraction was created with the focus on the Russia gate, and no one talked about the Israel gate. Um, but then again, uh, let's watch uh, this great interview with the investigative journalist and best-selling author, James Bamford. When the Mueller investigation was launched to determine Russian collusion in the 2016 presidential elections, FBI agents were tasked to harvest any information demonstrating foreign intervention in the election. They discovered an elaborate covert operation by Benjamin Netanyahu to use high-level secret intelligence to intervene at the highest level on behalf of Trump in exchange for his guarantee to deliver Netanyahu's top priorities, U.S. withdrawal from the Iran nuclear accords and recognition of Israel's sovereignty over Jerusalem by moving the U.S. embassy there from Tel Aviv. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is James Bamford, whose March cover story in The Nation, The Candidate and the Spy, details negotiations and meetings between Roger Stone and Netanyahu's secret intelligence agent from May 2016 up through the elections in November. He is an investigative journalist and best-selling author noted for his writing about the United States intelligence agencies. His most recently released book is Spy Fail, Foreign Spies, Malls, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of Americans' Counterintelligence. Welcome to Arab Talk, James. Thank you very much for having me. 
So explain at what point during the Mueller ex- uh, investigation while pursuing incriminating evidence that Russia colluded in influencing the 2016 elections, did FBI agents come across a separate strand of foreign interference by Israel leading directly to Benjamin Netanyahu? Yeah, the uh, way I was able to discover all this information was a uh, FBI search warrant and an affidavit for the Israeli agent, and that was dated 2018. So the focus of the investigation was obviously on Russia. It was the Russia Gate investigation. But in addition to that, they also focused on who else may be interfering with the uh, election, and that's when they came upon this Israeli agent. And once they did, uh, they obtained a search warrant to uh, find out what his communications were, and that's where uh, they were able to find these communications links between the secret agent and uh, members of uh, the Trump campaign. So again, what was the time frame uh, of this, and and who were the main operatives uh, in these meetings? Well, this whole uh, event took place beginning in May of 2016, I think it is, and what happened was that the um, Israeli agent wanted to get in touch with a member of the Trump campaign, and so he picked uh, Roger Stone. He was a old friend of Trump, and he felt it was a good way into the into the campaign. So he began having meetings and phone calls and text messages and so forth with uh, Roger Stone. That's how it began. So uh, uh, what established uh, Netanyahu's uh, involvement? Well, Netanyahu was the one who set this in place, and you could tell that because if you read the emails that were intercepted by the, by the FBI, uh, they're attached as part of this affidavit, um, you can see that the uh, secret agent is making references to what uh, he calls the PM. I have to meet with the PM, or the PM said this, or the PM said that. And then uh, also in that same FBI affidavit, the FBI agent writes down, um, I believe that the PM referred to is the prime minister. And uh, there's numerous references to uh, I'm in Jerusalem or I'm coming, going back and forth to Israel or whatever. So th- th- there's no question that that's uh, who, who they're talking about. So uh, why was Israel so keen to have Trump as president rather than Hillary Clinton, given the United States' unqualified support for Israel? I mean, what, why were they leaning towards Trump? I mean, Hillary Clinton is, is no enemy to Israel, let's say. Well, but Trump was uh, pushing, uh, I mean, from the very beginning, he was pushing for, excuse me, a number of the areas that the Israelis were very interested in, particularly the uh, doing away with the agreement with, with uh, Iran, for example, over, over the nuclear accords. So uh, that was a key area, and Trump had already said that he was going to do that. What they wanted, what the Israelis really wanted in addition to that, was uh, to have the United States uh, declare Jerusalem as entirely a part of Israel as opposed to a negotiated settlement between the Israelis and the Palestinians. President Obama was pushing for a negotiated settlement, pushing hard on Netanyahu for that. So Netanyahu was trying to get uh, the Trump uh, people, particularly President Trump, to agree to 
recognize Jerusalem as being Israeli, 100% Israeli. Um, and in exchange for that, the Israeli agent was prefer, uh, providing the uh, Trump campaign with uh, secret intelligence. Uh, and that secret intelligence happened to be the information that the Russians were picking up on Hillary Clinton. Talk about uh, the voter manipulation industry in Israel, in particular Archimedes and Team Jorge, which was recently exposed in a uh, Forbidden Stories feature. Well, it's interesting. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, or maybe about a month ago, the um, a, a major report came out from numerous news organizations. What happened was that the uh, uh, these major news organizations across uh, Europe and, and into the Middle East uh, decided to do a very long eight-month investigation into Israel uh, and the Israelis' companies, Israeli companies that are basically private intelligence companies uh, with links to the Israeli government. And these companies manipulate elections around the world. So these uh, major publications, uh, it was The Guardian in London, uh, the Observer in London, La, La Pais in uh, Spain, uh, Der Spiegel in Germany, the, uh, Le Monde in, in France. These are all really major publications, plus Arats in, uh, in Israel. They all got together and formed this joint task force to look into uh, Israeli election manipulation around the world. And they came out with a very big report. It was in uh, each of the news organizations came out with their own report, and they were all basically headline news stories in London, Paris, uh, Germany, Spain, uh, Israel, and so forth. Uh, the place that made no news was the United States. So um, the U.S. Uh, has a tendency, or U.S. media has a tendency to uh, avoid controversial stories invo involving Israel. And, and this is a bit absurd to uh, not report on the fact that 30 news organizations got together and discovered that Israel was basically a center for world uh, voter manipulation or election man manipulation. I mean, in fact, you mentioned that voter manipulation is a growth industry in, in Israel and not discu uh, discouraged by, by the government, right? Well, the government doesn't discourage it because the government probably benefits from it since uh, these organizations, these uh, private intelligence organizations are closely tied to the government. A lot of the uh, organizations are made up of uh, former government agents. And uh, so it's it's not a big leap to think that they're sharing this information with the Israeli government. If the Israeli government uh, has some uh, cooperation with these groups, then obviously they're gaining a great deal of intelligence, if not, you know, even uh, helping with the manipulation. Who knows? But the point is that uh, this shouldn't be going on. Uh, people should be able to vote, vote in a democratic process without having the Israelis put their thumb on the scales uh, to get uh, elected, whoever whoever happens to be paying them. Returning back uh, to the Trump election, uh, who was uh, the secret agent deployed by Israel to negotiate with uh, Roger Stone? Well, the, uh, the affidavit and the search warrant uh, delete the name. They uh, re What they call redact the name. They take it out. Uh, uh, and there were a number of other redactions in, in these documents also. Um, so there was no way to uh, definitively determine who exactly that agent was. Um, I uh, looked at the uh, uh, factors that are listed in the affidavit and uh, 
tried to see if there were some common denominators with uh, officials close to Netanyahu. One of those people was a guy named uh, Isaac Molvo. He's a attorney very close to Trump. He's even related to Trump. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, he's a uh, agent uh, very close to Netanyahu and uh, even related to Netanyahu. Um, and so Netanyahu uh, um, picked somebody that was close to him, and this person was close to him. He was an, he's an attorney. So uh, there was one other particular common denominator, and that was this person uh, who was a secret agent was sent on a very short notice, a quick uh, turnaround. He had to fly uh, from the U.S. to um, Rome for a quick meeting with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and John Kerry, the Secretary of State from the United States. And the meeting had to do with the uh, uh, sort of last-minute negotiations or, or uh, trying to conclude negotiations over what's going to happen with Jerusalem in terms of a negotiated settlement. So Netanyahu wanted his uh, uh, secret agent by his side, and the secret agent flew over for the meeting and then flew back right afterwards. And this person, uh, uh, Isaac Moho, um, happens to be also uh, the key person that Netanyahu uses for these meetings. He's the key negotiator with uh, John Kerry. So you put all that together, and he may or he may not be, but uh, a lot of the common denominators seem to seem to fit him. Um, uh, it's interesting. The U.S. Uh, spent a lot of time going after everybody involved with uh, RussiaGate, but they don't seem to want to identify who this person was that was manipulating the U.S. election. How serious were the charges against uh, agents listed in the FBI's affidavit? They're very serious. Uh, I'll read a few of these here. Uh, this says the uh, possible charges were a violation of the foreign contributions ban. Uh, which means uh, giving money or something of value to the campaign, aiding, abet aiding and abetting uh, conspiracy, wire fraud, attempted conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and unauthorized access to a protected computer. And what that basically means is they were some this agent apparently was hacking into a computer. Ultimately, how was this covert deal uh, with Trump finalized? Did he meet with Netanyahu? Well, the meetings took place throughout the summer, beginning in May uh, uh, of the uh, time period leading up to the election. And throughout the summer, towards the end of the summer, around August, uh, the actual meetings uh, uh, became less because they wa the, apparently the uh, Roger Stone was getting nervous about this being discovered. So, um, so there was no way to tell whether there was an actual meeting at the end, uh, uh, towards the end with Trump. Uh, but uh, what you can see is, is the mission was accomplished because in September, uh, you had Netanyahu come to the United States and meet privately with uh, Trump in his uh, New York penthouse uh, apartment. And uh, uh, it was a private meeting. But after the meeting was over, Netanyahu uh, and Trump uh, uh, appeared before cameras and, and Trump announced just exactly what uh, Netanyahu wanted, which was that if uh, he was elected, if Trump was elected, he was going to declare uh, Jerusalem um, the, the capital of Israel. And he was going to uh, recognize Israel as the U.S., uh, as the Israeli, uh, uh, he was going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which is something that the U.S. government had not done. 
uh, any time prior to this in any previous administration because it was the policy of the U.S. government to um, uh, push for a negotiated settlement of uh, Jerusalem. So so that was a major win. That was what uh, Netanyahu was pushing for. And here's this meeting, joint meeting at the end. And, and uh, so everybody got what they wanted. Uh, the Trump administration got the intelligence uh, from the Israelis and the Israelis uh, and Netanyahu got uh, the promise of, of uh, Jerusalem being a, in a being recognized as the capital of Israel. And moving, the, of, of course, the embassy from, uh, U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That's right. Yeah, Trump agreed to do that, and he did do that, and that's where it still is. All of this information was uh, available to the Mueller uh, Investigation Committee, yet uh, uh, to quote you, uh, you say, Russia Gate investigation of 2016 was uh, the Israeli connection. No details of it were ever revealed in the heavily redacted Mueller report, which we just talked about it. Nor was there any mention of an Israeli plot uh, in the similarly redacted set Senate Intelligence Committee report on collusion charges in the 2016 election or in any of the indictments or trials stemming from the Russia gates. This is an omission of great magnitude by both the Senate and the, the U.S. Justice Department. What, what do you attribute uh, this to? Well, it's obviously politics. The, the, uh, there's no legal reason that they couldn't uh, uh, reveal this information. They certainly revealed uh, uh, volumes on, on the Russian uh, interference uh, or the uh, alleged re Russian interference. They ended up not finding any uh, Russian collusion. Uh, what they did find was Israeli collusion, but because of politics, uh, which is frequent uh, when it comes to Israel, uh, nobody wanted to uh, uh, mention this uh, this event because it was uh, potentially harmful politically uh, for the White House, for people in Congress and Senate and so forth. So um, I can't get in anybody's head, but that's my assumption as to why it happened. I mean, do, do you believe that uh, the whole scenario about the Russia gate was a uh, distraction or deflection from what was really happening and what was real interference in U.S. Uh, elections. Well, that was what obviously came out of the whole thing. I mean, the Russian. There was no questions that the Russians uh, interfered at the beginning, where they uh, uh, hacked into the Clinton campaign and got emails from the Clinton campaign and the DNC. That all happened before the Mueller uh, uh, team was put. The Mueller investigation came forward. The Mueller investigation was to see, uh, uh, you know, okay, we we know the Russians got these emails, what the question is, was there any collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians? Did the two groups work together in any way? Um, and the end result of the two-year Mueller investigation was that no, there was no collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign. Uh, but as, I've, as we've just been talking about here, there was certainly collusion and direct evidence of it uh, uh, with the Israelis, uh, but um, it hadn't come out. And that's why I was working on this book for several years. Uh, the book looks at the, uh, my book, Spy Fail, uh, which looks at the uh, counterintelligence activities of the United States. In other words, looks into uh, what, what kind of a job the FBI is doing in terms of catching spies and so forth. And, and it was only because of digging into uh, documents and and materials that it was able to come up with uh, these FBI documents uh, 
so um, so a, a, a couple of documents escaped. Uh, they were overlooked by the press, um, but uh, I was able to get them and, and use them in my book and also for a cover story for The Nation magazine. Now, I mean, you, you uncovered, I, I, this is a huge uh, story. I mean, a lot of information. And Trump has been going around now, of course, is the presumed going to be the Republican uh, candidate, saying that he got robbed in the previous elections. Uh, and you have the Biden administration. I mean, this is a story, if you look at it, politically speaking, uh, this is something that they... Biden administration can easily use and say, no, 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 wait a minute, you got elected because the Israelis helped you to get elected. But we hear nothing, and we hear nothing about about this from from the uh, the Biden administration when they crit criticize uh, Trump. We, didn't, we don't hear anything about it in the mainstream media. Why is that? Well, with regard to Biden, uh, uh, key reason is because... The the key conspirator in this whole plot is uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. And uh, I don't think, I mean, if you just look at Biden's past and his current activity, he doesn't want to do anything that offends Benjamin Netanyahu. Because if he does, he's afraid of alienating a, a large uh, uh, segment of the voter population in the U.S., or the, you know, the pro-Israeli uh, group. So he, he like nothing to do with this, I think. And to a large degree, it's the same reason for the media. I think the media avoids uh, uh, avoids a lot of the controversies involving Israel. They avoid them like a like a plague. I mean, you uh, hardly ever see a lot of the uh, uh, things that you actually. I mean, the irony here is that uh, you really have to read the Israeli press in order to understand what's going on in Israel. Haaretz is a great newspaper. The, you know, and the journalists there are fantastic news. Uh, uh, journalists because they uh, they reform basically everything that goes on, uh, but over here you don't get it from the mainstream media in in the United States, and I think that is reflected in the fact that there uh, was sort of a media blackout on this whole story. How does this uh, affect uh, U.S. intelligence and counterintelligence? I mean, we know the politics. You explained it. Uh, you you very well explained it. Uh, uh, how that plays in covering up for Israel, but, you know, you have dedicated hundreds, if not thousands, of FBI agents, CIA, etc. When they know something is affecting U.S. national security, but then the political factions are basically covering covering it up. I mean, is there a schism? Is it causing any... Yeah, I've interviewed a, a lot of FBI agents, obviously, have I've been doing this work for a very long time, and I've uh, developed a lot of FBI agents as uh, people that are, uh, you know, contacts, people that I deal with, and, and uh, on a um, off-the-record basis. And and so I talk to them about all this stuff, and a lot of them are very angry because their job, I mean, the whole job is to um, make arrests and to uh, uncover uh, espionage and, and interference and so forth in the U.S. government. So uh, they're very frustrated. A lot of them are very frustrated that they come up with this information. They find it. They dig very hard and they conduct a long year, several year long investigations and so forth, uh, pointing to Israeli spying or, or, or whatever, or in this case, a election interference. And then uh, it goes nowhere. It's just sort of uh, dunked and uh, or put back in the file and the file door is slammed shut. So 
for them, it's very frustrating. Um, it'd be the equivalent of me spending two years writing a book and then having somebody say, well, you can't do anything with the book, uh, you know, politics. So, so it's very frustrating for a lot of them. And, uh, you know, I feel sorry because they, that's what they go into this, this occupation for is to uncover uh, illegal activities and then they're stymied uh, because of uh, high-level politics. Should be also frustrating to millions of Americans. Really, the article in the Nation is the candidate and the spy. And uh, if you haven't read it, uh, our, uh, our audience. And uh, of course, uh, I, I recommend uh, your book, uh, "Spy Fail: Foreign Spies, Moles, Saboteurs, and the Collapse of American's Counterintelligence." James Bamford, uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's the voice and the face of James Bamford, investigative journalist, uh, award-winning author, talking about his article in The Nation, The Candidate and the Spy. Jamal, this is, this is a big deal. This is basically one of Trump's closest confidants having intimate conversations with the intelligence agency of, of Israel uh, leading, up until the ele- leading up to the elections. This is, this is a huge deal. And... and and it got completely missed by the mainstream media. Well, it, it's a huge deal. I mean, this is, uh, of course, uh, I mean, the article is uh, that uh, James had written the nation. It just gives you a sliver of the complete picture. Really, people should uh, focus on reading his uh, his book, uh, which detail details it, you know. But anyway, I mean, this is the deal. The meetings were happening. And the quid pro quo to help Trump getting elected by feeding him all kinds of information. Right. And the reward for Israel was, which Trump promised, was to move the U.S. embassy into Jerusalem and recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And sure enough, shortly after he got elected, Trump came, you know, this is before he was now president-elect. He showed up at a meeting at the Trump Tower, and Trump made that declaration saying that, you know, once he takes over, you know, he's going to move the embassy uh, from Tel Aviv into into Jerusalem. And that that happened. At the same time, everybody was paying attention to Russiagate and and Hillary's emails, but the real big story... You know, it wasn't the Russian; it was the Israelis. Israelis. It's, it's, it's a it's a very interesting article. No one talks about it. You don't have anyone from the uh, Senate uh, Counterintelligence Committee discussing it. You have very frustrated FBI agents and other intelligence uh, agents, securities. This, is according to uh, you know my discussion with with uh, James Bamford. And uh, the media, mainstream media, just missed it. Completely not missed, missed it. it. They just, just, they just dismissed it. I, I don't think they can read. They, they know what's going on, but no one wants to touch Israel. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to to reaffirm its meddling in uh, U.S. presidential affairs. And even now, with now, you know, Trump being the presumed. Uh, uh, GOP candidate, 
uh, I mean, this should be used against him, you know, uh, and well, I guarantee you the Biden administration won't mention it. No, I think that's a, exactly correct, Jamal. And see, this is part of the larger picture that we've been reporting here and talking about on Arab Talk for many, many years is how the Israeli intelligence services spy uh, on the United States anyways, its so-called closest ally, have infiltrated the United States, both politically and in other ways, you know, through its surrogates and through its Hasbara campaign. And now you have the uh, former president's, among his closest confidants, Roger Stone, having these intimate relations and working out a deal that's supposed to influence U.S. foreign policy. So, yeah, I guess I misspoke in saying that they missed it. They didn't miss it. They chose to ignore it, which is even more damning than missing it because the information was out there. There were some vague reports of Roger Stone meeting with the Israeli uh, agent, you know, that were circulating, but it never made the mainstream kind of uh, attention, Jamal. It's, it was a big story, and I would say it continues to be a story, big story. And, you know, as I've predicted, I believe that Trump will be the is the presumptive 2024 GOP nominee for president. So we'll see what happens, right? That's right. So we're going to move on to because we have several stories here, uh, Jess, and we're we're going to discuss. Of course, this is almost a continuation because yes. now we discover yes. there is another Israeli spyware maker. You know, basically uh, hacking every single iPhone. You know, uh, around the world, and and they got exposed, and they they have to. That's shut right. Down. But anyway, we've witnessed Israel, and we've talked about it. Soldiers. Uh, raiding Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, uh, arresting uh, worshippers, uh, beating them, um, you know, desecrating the mosque, going in there with their shoes and, and firing rubber bullets and, and uh, um, smoke bombs and so forth. Uh, as you know, in Palestine, we are fortunate, you know, Palestinians, they, they, they celebrate Easter twice, you know, the <laughs> Catholic Easter, and then we have the Greek Orthodox Easter, and, right. and the vast majority of Palestinians are of the Greek Orthodox faith, faith, uh, faith. so that's the big uh, celebration, and especially on uh, Holy Saturday, where uh, thousands of people descend on the Holy Sepulchre to partake. And this year, Israel decided to limit the numbers of visitors going in to the old city, citing uh, safety. Okay, now all of a sudden they're concerned about Palestinian safety. I've recently, uh, I mean, and others, this is not my creation, but many people posted thousands and hundreds of pictures of Palestinians celebrating, going all the way back to the invention of the camera, Jess, showing <laughs> crowds of Christians at the Holy Sepulchre, on the right. roof, on the side, etc., no one we have and we have we don't have a single documentation that there was a, a, a stampede or or or, Never. or a fire and people managed to go and celebrate and and they don't need anyone's you know uh, protection and and then recently again i said they haven't learned their lesson like they they they've abused now and 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 Ramadan for muslims you know and then now they moved on to christians and they are, were preventing them and pushing them and shoving them. 
And again, under that whole pretext that they're trying to make it safe and secure for everyone. Well, that's a joke, Jamal. And you know it, and we know it, and I know it. The world knows it, that this pretense of protecting Palestinians, that's their Hasbara, that's, their, that's the statement, is a complete joke. It's a restriction of, of religious uh, freedom. It's a restriction of religious movement. It's a restriction, and, and in some ways, Jamal, it's an attempt to uh, restrict not just Palestinian pilgrims from visiting the Holy Sepulchre, but it's, a, it's an attack on all Christians, I think, because, you know, even the previous, you know, Catholic Easter, the Sunday before, had some difficulties. This Orthodox Easter, this, this previous Sunday, was severely limited, and, you know, what, what are we to say? What is the world to say against the... Hasbara campaign of the Israeli uh, uh, of the Israeli government when they say they're protecting Palestinians. Palestinians do not feel protected when they're limited from going to the Holy Sepulcher. I mean, come on, the Holy Sepulcher, Jamal, is one of the you know most important Christian shrines and places in in Christianity. I mean, you have two of the holiest Christian sites in Palestine, right? The church, the church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Church of the Nativity in, in Bethlehem. And these are traditionally, you know, uh, just like important spaces for Christians. And yet each year around Christmas, around Easter, uh, the, the Israeli regime continues to play these games and restrict religious freedom. Uh, the, 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 the only democracy in the Middle East, Jamal, restricting religious freedom? Hmm smells doesn't pass the smell test it doesn't and and we're not even talking about jerusalemites going into in, into the holy sepulcher we're talking also about christians who live for example right. in bethlehem which which is uh, literally 20 minutes away they are right. prevented they need special permits to enter jerusalem this is in general 365 days a year so they have to uh, uh, you know apply for permits months in advance and very few of them are granted, a small percentage. So right there, again, the Israeli authorities are controlling who can come in and who can go out. People, uh, Christians in, in, in Gaza, which is a very, very small minority in Gaza, they've applied months in advance. Some of them were right. granted um, permits, and then they canceled them at the last at minute. At the last minute, right, right. At the last minute, they decided, no, you cannot come in. So why is Israel put in charge of controlling the movement of Palestinian Christians and, and Muslims. I mean, this is, they are the arbitrators, they are the controllers, what have you, and every, every year it just keeps getting worse and worse. Right, and I just want to, uh, not to harp on this point, but, uh, you know, uh, the it's important for our viewers and listeners to know, for example, around Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Haram Sharif in Jerusalem, is under is supposed to be under the administrative control and direction of King Abdullah of Jordan, right? And is he supposed to be apprised and responsible for those activities? He continues to be uh, denigrated. He continues to be humiliated in the face of all these assaults on the uh, Al Aqsa Mosque and the Haram Sharif. And uh, you know, Jamal, this Friday is the uh, is the end well Thursday into Friday is the end of Ramadan. It's 
probably going to be another big uh, big event that's going to happen this Friday at uh, Friday Prayer. So we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm concerned about it, but I wish this would make the mainstream media or some media, Jamal, where the attacks on Christian Palestinians and Christians all over the world uh, by the apartheid regime is getting no mention in the mainstream media. That's right. Uh, so moving on to the next story, Jess. Last spyware, week, spyware. Citizen. Hey. Well, let me start by first g- giving kudos to Citizen Lab. So yes. uh, Citizen Lab, which focuses on human rights and technology, published a report revealing and outing Quad Dreams spy software, which is used against journalists in particular and right. dissidents around around the world. I mean, I mean, we've reported on Israeli spy wars, your favorite manufacturer, right? Right. Uh, in, 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 in which was blacklisted in, in this country, Jess. And now uh, there's another one, you know, after Israel said, oh, no, no, we're not going to be, you know, doing that. We're not going to be uh, supplying uh, despot- despotic regimes and, and uh, spy agencies with this spyware. But this, this one, the Quad Dreams uh, s- spy software is very dangerous because it really is used against journalists, Jess, right. and, uh, and right. dissidents. It targets specific, as a specific target. That's right, Jamal. And, and the fact that they've targeted journalists and they've sold this spyware to uh, despotic uh, you know, governments in order to spy on journalists all over the world. Um, it, it's, again, it's the kind of story that uh, needs special attention. We Kudos goes to, uh, you know, the investigative journalism that was done to uncover this. But let me ask you a question. Why does anybody believe anything coming from the Israeli government when they talk about how they're going to protect, you know, against the use of spyware? It's such a, it's such a joke. I mean, and... Yeah, Quad Dream closed, but I, I have a prediction that there are not there are probably many more, and maybe Quad Dream, Quad Dream will reopen and repackage itself in a different main. I mean, in a well, different. This is it. We've re- we've reported on Pegasus. Uh, you know, that's the spyware I was referring to, uh, uh, manufactured by NSO. Right, and it took it took years for the United States. Uh, Justice Department basically to blacklist it from this country, but because but, but they still use it, Jamal. Here's the thing: the CIA still uses it, the NSA still uses it in this country. It's still being used. I mean, that's part of the story that's being, you know, continues to be neglected. And we know that uh, other other despotic regimes in Saudi Arabia, you know, the 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 king there continues to use it. The UAE continues to use it. It's used all over the world still, Jamal. That's I mean, you have no security, no privacy for anyone in the world. And I don't want to get into this story. I just mentioned it quickly. But just like a couple of days ago, uh, Elon Musk was getting interviewed and he admitted that Twitter uh, allowed all kinds of governments to uh, spy on people's uh, private information. And when he was right. asked, because... Because, you know, your tweets, you can make them private if you choose, or most people don't, so they're public. But then 
the the key question when he was asked, well, what about uh, uh, DMs, you know, uh, private message, messages? Uh, are they, do, did they have access to those? And he said, shockingly, yes. That's right. That was his BBC interview. Yeah, that's right. Yes. That so big, so, big, big so I'm just like tagging this uh, in, into this story because uh, just a warning to our viewers and listeners, nothing is sacred, nothing is safe. You got to be very no, careful no. about but, your but communications the, and about your social media platforms. That's right. But I would say at the center of the universe of the use of uh, spyware to spy on the global community, the center of that spying universe uh, is the apartheid state, Jamal. I don't think there's any doubt about it. You have one of the you, you have one of the key agencies in the United States, our intelligence services, using Israeli spyware. So you know, go figure. Come on, and and, and you're right. I mean, nothing will be done about this. Uh, Elon Musk admitted as such, and you know. People are not taking this as seriously as they should. It's a big deal. And our final story, and this is a question. I'll put it, I'll put it in, a, <laughs> in a question, Jess. <laughs> Why is the son of the late Shah of Iran visiting Israel? I, I and, have an easy answer for you, Jamal. It's an easy answer. Why does uh, Andrew Cuomo become the leader of the Israel for Democrats uh, uh, pack. Why do all disgraced politicians and disgraced people line up uh, behind APAC and the apartheid regime when they want a makeover, Jamal? Where where do all disgraced people eventually go? They make the visit to the apartheid state. They join APAC. Why else would the son of the Shah of Iran, especially now, go to Israel? You tell me. Well, first, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you his statement uh, that he posted on on Twitter, and and the Hasbaristas are making a big deal out of it. I, I I I see almost every five minutes a tweet about it. They're welcoming him. Oh, it's of great, course, etc. Praising course. him, and he says, "I'm traveling to Israel to deliver a message of friendship from the Iranian people." Now, here is somebody who lives in exile, right? Engage Israeli water experts is on ways to address the regime's abuse of Iran's natural resources and pay respects to the victims of the Holocaust. Uh, I want the people of Israel to know that the Islamic Republic does not represent the Iranian people. Uh, as far as I know, they've represented the Iranian people for decades. But anyway, uh, these are I, I I have three reasons. Okay. Okay. Why someone like him would do it, uh, just the number one reason is, and this is maybe people are not paying attention to it, is Saudi Iranian rapprochement. Yes. So, so, so this past couple of weeks, and we've talked about this, how Saudi Arabia shocked the world and the United States, deciding to restore relations with with Iran in fact uh, today i saw that the iranians have uh, have invited the king uh, to go there to, to to travel there but anyway they're reopening their their embassies and restoring right. diplomatic re- relations and this whole idea about of course uh, 
in you know going after Iran's nuclear uh, reactors is kind of has been put on the shelf in the Biden administration's uh, foreign right. policy because he's he's putting all his resources and energy of the United States towards Ukraine. That's right. So they, they they're just trying to find something, and who did they look and chase and find and uh, and sponsor? No one else but the forgotten and irrelevant. I would say irrelevant because that's my reason number one. When you're irrelevant and someone knocks at your door and say we're going to make you an important person, now you could call yourself the Shah of Iran, and you speak <laughs> on behalf of the Iranian people, and we're going to welcome you with red, a red carpet when you land at Ben Gurion Airport. Okay, that's so right, that's the mind. reason number two. They just pumped his head up. And he, all of a sudden, the only pictures you used to see about him, Jess, is when he was dancing in a London nightclub. I mean, this is how much foreign policy he's in control of. And so that's the reason, number two, they gave him some, you know, short-lived, I would say, relevancy. And he's going there. And the reason, number three, which is a very important reason, the dude ran out of money. Well, yeah. He squandered gonna... all all the money that his dad funneled out of the country before he escaped. That's you know, Jamal. He ran out of money, and he's been living between London and Los Angeles. That's right. That's right. And the guy, the guy has no credibility with the Iranian community uh, anywhere in the world. Jamal. Well, he has a little bit of followers, which Not, I call yeah, them but... the 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 Shahin Shah followers. But yeah, but, but it's even so small. So small. Even yeah. those who disagree with the uh, with the the current regime in in Iran, I don't think they're waiting to bring him back into power. No, but you know, uh, it's part remembering, of the... remembering the Savak uh, right security services that his father used to have. And but Jamal, and you know, it's part of the people. But you know, it's part of the Israeli dream to install him as the Shah because of that history. With his uh, with his late father, obviously. So, the you know the the Israeli demagogues Jamal have lots of bizarre uh, fantasies about the world. One is bringing the Shah son back to be the Shah of Iran, and their crazy idea of maps, uh, you know, that don't even recognize the existence of Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, and parts of Jordan. So. There's a lot of there's a lot of delusional activity going on in the apartheid state right now. I do want to just say something quick. You said something about Saudi and Saudi Arabia and Iran reestablishing diplomatic relations. Maybe we'll get this uh, on next week. But the but the Saudi Saudi Arabia has invited a delegation of uh, Hamas politicians to to also visit uh, Saudi Arabia to reestablish uh, diplomatic ties there too. So it's kind of interesting to see what the crown prince is doing in terms of shaking up the geopolitical uh, scene right now in the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, from their interpretation, of course, after this so-called uh, uh, Abraham Accords, uh, the Israelis were waiting in the wings for Saudi Arabia to join in. In fact, that's what... Uh, right. Netanyahu was bragging about soon you know, we'll have relations with Saudi Arabia and so forth. And instead, instead of shaking the hands of 
Benjamin Netanyahu, they shook the hands of the of the Iranians, you know, and that was a total shock. So they had to scramble quickly, and I feel right. like they they almost like dug dug up a skeleton because no one <laughs> hears no one hears about this uh, son of uh, the the I late know. Shah. It's, you know, they, as I told you the only time I used to notice him when gossip uh, publication would show him in a nightclub, you know, drinking no, that's or whatever right. party. That's and right. now they're presenting him as a head of a, a state and a spokesperson representing the Iranian people, you know, and, and so forth. And the guy uh, drank the Kool-Aid and I we just talked about the reasons why he, he did that. He needs money. Well, he needs money and well, he needs publicity. Yeah. And I guess he can join the ranks of Andrew Cuomo and all the others who, after they've been uh, disgraced and humiliated, Make that uh, make that trip to uh, Tel Aviv, Jamal. So one of many. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco eighty nine point five FM. Go to our website arabtalkradio.com to download the latest shows, and we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.